One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about Pizzagate. And I'll be talking about the Seton Hall dorm fire. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my. Ooh. Oh. Oh, my. You know that I know absolutely nothing about Pizzagate. Do you know anything about this dorm fire? <laughs> Not a damn thing. Wonderful. <laughs> We're about to learn today. <laughs> Let me tell you something about my case. Yeah. Your brain will hurt. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. it, it is... I don't even know the words for it. It is just so sad and scary and ridiculous. Hey, you know what else is scary and ridiculous? <laughs> what? Hey, Missouri's plan for reopening <laughs> the state. <laughs> Am I that? Do you mean no plan There's at all? No, like, literally. Okay, literally. Uh, Governor Parsons or whatever the fuck his name is was mm-hmm. like, um, all right, we're going to have a press conference today to announce the phased reopening of our state. And then he like, yep. it was like he tore a piece of paper into little tiny pieces, threw it into the air and was like, oh, fuck it. Everything's open. <laughs> There are no yeah. restrictions whatsoever. Yeah, May 4th. Here yeah. we go. Yes. Uh, so I, I had to take to Twitter to tweet about it. <laughs> I must say it was a hot tweet. <laughs> no, but for real, I, I do. My hat goes off to him for doing so much to reinvigorate the funeral business. <laughs> What a, uh, you got, you're getting me all fired up again, Brandy. Well, okay, here's the deal, though. I'm making, you know, fun of Missouri as a, as a Kansan. We're a very easy Um, target. Kansas has released no information yet, so we could be right there with you. We'll find out uh, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, I was, uh, okay. I have heard, and this drives me nuts, when people say, well, I see both sides of this. No shit. Anyone who isn't an idiot sees both sides of it. We don't want people to die. And at the same time, we want people to be able to feed their families and, you know, not lose their houses. There there has to be a middle ground. I mean, we've got to get better stimulus checks out. Anyway, anyway, I'm... It's, I'm good. I'm fine. Just fine. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about what my dad said about us? <laughs> okay. So what? Yes, we've been roasted yes. by your dad. Yeah. If everybody wants to get out their um, their ten pounds fun fact journals, this uh-huh. would be, be a good place to jot this down. Um, what episode was it that he is referencing? Do you? It's your you're case, Kristen. Me, it's your um, case. Well, I know, but you're the one with <laughs> the, the okay, memory. I know, but it's the it's the Peacock Alley case. The lady who yeah, shot the man oh, with the pin. Oh God. <laughs> Hell damn fart. Let me look it up. <laughs> Sorry for using such harsh language. That was really harsh <laughs> language. Oh, it's episode 118, The Woman in the Trunk. Okay. Okay. So in that case, you talk about how this woman um is belongs on Peacock. 
Peacock Alley or Peacock Lane or whatever the fuck it was. And Alley. because she knew all of these people, including the Breckenridges of Kentucky. And I was like, I'm sorry, am I supposed to know the Breckenridges of Kentucky? And you're like, no, I don't know who they are either. So my dad texts me. Well, now, hold, hold the phone now, Brandy. I did say that they were, you know, we you had a that there vice, was a vice president. president involved. You you yeah. thought there was a vice president involved. That, that was right, your knowledge. Well, hey, partial credit for that <laughs> answer, I think. So my dad texts me. And he said, this is a this is a direct quote of the text. Wow. Astounded by the lack of knowledge. John C. (laughs) Breckinridge was the VP of the U.S. at the onset of the Civil War. He resigned and enlisted in the Confederate Army and became the Confederate Secretary of State. Also, he was Mary Lincoln's cousin and caused poor Abe a bunch of grief because of it. (laughs) So a couple of things to take away and to jot down in your 10 pounds fun fact journal. Mm -hmm. Um. My dad loves the Civil War. Like, he's super interested in it, has like a million books on it. Um, also, is apparently on a first name basis with Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you didn't read the whole text thread because my favorite was the shade. Oh, yeah. The way you, yeah, so, yeah. He, so I said, wow, I didn't know any of that. And he said, obviously, you did go to school, right? <laughs> And he spelled school S K O O L. I tell you what, your dad throws about as much shade as some of these reviewers, That's and that is right. really saying something. That is, that is right. But hey, if if uh, like Tim Pounds, you are a little critical of us, but you still enjoy to listen, we've got more for you on Patreon. How smooth was that transition? That was so good. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You guys, at the $5 level, here's the deal. On Patreon, you get bonus episodes, you get into the Discord, um... That's it. At the $7 level, <laughs> you get to listen to bonus episodes. I think we've got nine of them right now, or is it 10? It's nine. It's nine. nine. No, it's 10. Nine. 10. It's, it's 10. 10. Maybe. <laughs> Join and find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we've got bonus episodes. We also, at the $7 level, have bonus videos, and those are a hoot, let me tell you. You also get a sticker, our lovely autographs, you get into the Discord, and you get inducted on this very podcast, not some other random podcast. <laughs> this one, my goodness. My this goodness, just the in, rewards. We do what? officially have 10 bonus episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Okay, I'm sorry. I also have to be super professional right now. I am having the hottest of flashes all of a sudden. I need to take my sweatshirt off, which means I have to take my headphones off. So hold. How old are you? Hottest of flashes? Pregnant, Kristen. (laughs) Hold on. Pause. Okay. While she's doing that, you guys should know that Brandy has broken world records by being 85 and pregnant. And, you know, it may not be the most responsible thing, but it's her body, her choice. And I'm just really excited for her. I'm sorry. What were you saying while don't I wo- took my sweatshirt off? Don't worry. I was just being a pro while no. you took your sweatshirt off, I- took your headphones off, you know. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> Ooh, I'm like literally sweating right now. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I said, you are. Well, no, if you're 85, you would be way past the change. Well, yeah, you'd be changed. uh, Past tense. (laughs) Past tense. (laughs) Okay, we we are fucking around too much here. All right. We got it. I was about to talk to us about one more gross thing real quick that I think you'll love. Um, Did you hear that? um, Oh, fuck. Now I can't remember his name. (laughs) Hold on. Pause. (laughs) What? 
Well, I don't want to give false information. This is like every time my mom and dad tell me about a Dateline episode they watched. It's always, wait, no, what? Okay, I was pretty sure I had the information correct, but I needed to double check my source. Um, Richard Gere, you familiar with the actor? Of course. 70 years old. Okay. He just welcomed a baby with his 37-year-old <laughs> wife, Kristen. How ew, do you feel about ew, that? Ew. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, congratulations, but ew. <laughs> what do you think about uh, that age gap? <laughs> why can't we, like, play amongst our age cohort, you know? Like, is that so bad to marry someone or date someone who has roughly your same experience level? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. I, I mean, age gaps don't actually bother me as much as they bother you, but that one's pretty bad. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't talk about pizza? Oh, yeah. And a gate. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So you know nothing about this? No. All Literally, all I know is the little blurb you gave me when we went on our little Alex Jones tangent that yeah. one day. <laughs> here's, here's what I will tell you, Brandy. Buckle the fudge up. Click. Okay. Okay. So to start off, I want to give a huge shout out to the article, How the Bizarre Conspiracy Theory Behind Pizzagate Was Spread by Craig Silverman for BuzzFeed. Great article. Once I get into the actual building of this conspiracy theory, I mean, I am basically telling you his article. So big shout out to him. All right. Here we go. Let's talk for a few torturous seconds about Hillary Clinton's emails. Excellent. Okay, so I do want to pause and just be like, you know, I'm doing this with big broad strokes because we've got a lot to cover. And also because like Hillary Clinton's emails are kind of a nothing burger. But here we go. Okay. When Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she used a private email server. Which was something that other secretaries of state had done in the past, but nonetheless is not great. So the FBI investigated the issue. And at the end of the investigation, the FBI director, James Comey, was like, yeah, this whole thing was extremely careless, but it's not criminal. Everybody go home. So it seemed like the issue was done, but it was not. (laughs) Thanks in part. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to a douche lord named Anthony Weiner. Mm. Do you remember Anthony Weiner? Yeah. Doesn't he have a mistress? Like an oh escort, escort mistress or something? I just yeah. remember it being funny, like a sex scandal came out and his name's Weiner. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. <laughs> Anthony Weiner, a.k.a. Carlos Danger. Oh, yes. <laughs> Carlos Danger. <laughs> was a congressman for 12 years. But he resigned because he loved taking pictures of his ding dong and sending them to random women online. Okay, so I don't know if you remember the inciting incident, but like he took this picture of his dong with his underwear on. I mean, that seems to be kind of his like fetish. It's not like full dong. It's just like, you know. I don't know. (laughs) We're not talking full dong here. (laughs) I'm well. I you know I'm trying to decide how delicate I want to be about it, but it's like okay. What are we talking? talking, Just the tip, or what do you mean, just the tip? No, it's like okay. 
picture. <laughs> now you're 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 just pushing me right in the pool, aren't you? Okay, I'm trying to dip my toe in. You've thrown me in. No, he uh, got quite excited, kept his boxer briefs on, and took oh, a picture. Oh, so we're talking about like a a, a whole dong outline. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, okay. the outline. All right. Yeah, boy, more, that would have been a much more nicer of a, more way of putting it. More of a silhouette <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah, more of a leaving just a bit to the imagination. <laughs> so right. here's here's so the deal. We've seen the outline of Anthony's wiener. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Carlos, danger to you, ma'am. <laughs> so you know he's got this, you know, very tasteful, arty shot. Yeah. Of, his dog Here, okay, outline. Wait, here's my question. Okay. Do we think that it's like a stuffed situation? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. why not show the whole thing? Okay. You know what? Mm. Hmm. Oh. I had not considered that. All right. Here's the thing, though. He he takes multiple Dong photos, dong outline photos. So I, I suppose if we really wanted to be uh, good researchers, yeah. we could go and, and see. Um, but, you know, compare and contrast. Yeah. Like if one day he's looking particularly blessed, we would know, we would know that he occasionally I think, I think endowed is the preferred term. OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Anyway. All right. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. A dog tangent is perfectly <laughs> fine on this podcast. So the inciting incident was that, you know, he, he takes this picture of his ding dong. He's wanting to send what, what it What are we clapping to, for? Did I clap? I'm, I mean, it sounded like a clap to me. I don't know what else you're doing. I clap for any ding dong shot. Just like, <laughs> well done, sir. Bravo. <laughs> No, so he takes this shot of his ding dong and oopsies, you know, he's a congressman. Oopsies. He sends it out from his Twitter account. Okay. <laughs> he tweets this part. <laughs> <Whoops>. Okay. <laughs> okay. I did not write this part down because it's not like super important, but I mean, I have to tell you now. <laughs> so. So, you know, of course, what does he do? He immediately is like, he deletes it. And then he's like, oh my gosh, I was hacked. I was hacked. Uh-huh, of course he does. You know? Yes. <laughs> so he did this interview, though. I think it was with Wolf Blitzer. And so he's telling Wolf Blitzer like, oh, you know, I was hacked. And Wolf Blitzer's like, well, you know, okay, okay. Um, so you were hacked, but like, is that was you? Was that your dong? <laughs> and like... <laughs> Anthony Weiner was totally unprepared. He didn't expect that question. He, I mean, he just fumbled and just kind of, oh, and the whole time Wolf Blitzer is looking at him like, dude, you would know if that was a picture of your ding dong, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, did you recognize the dong (laughs) picture? I think that's the funniest part. It's like, okay, yeah, you can be hacked, but like. We all know <laughs> what underwear we have. We like, you know, I think we'd spot our, our outlines, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah, if you were, <laughs> if you were given a lineup of dog outlines, you'd probably pick out your own, right? <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> I mean, like, how many dong outline pictures would you have to have to be like, you know, I just can't say. I I can't say for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So Anthony Weiner resigned. 
But then a while later, after he was like, sorry, 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 I won't ever do that again, he ran for mayor. Mm -hmm. But during that campaign, oopsies, it was revealed that he had continued to send out pictures of his dong even (laughs) after he'd resigned from Congress. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. I I mean, talk about a very proud man. I mean, just got to let people see it. Okay, this will shock you, but he did not win his mayoral campaign. Yes. (laughs) But don't worry. He learned a lot from that experience, and he was super done taking photos of his ding-dong. I don't think he was. (laughs) No, no, he wasn't. (laughs) In August of 2016, he sexted another woman, and get this, he sent that picture of his dong, you know, covered again by his undies, and his young child was in bed next to him in the photo. Yeah, what? it's disgusting. It's We're disgusting. Dong pictures while your kid's there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not a fan. Nope. Also, what was that woman thinking? Like, what would the reaction be? You think you're exchanging sexy pictures and you get a picture of like a toddler in there? Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, no I kidding. Mean, call the police immediately. Yeah. So at this point, Anthony Weiner's wife was like, deuces, I am out. A month later, he was accused of sexting a 15-year-old girl from North Carolina. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. This incident obviously sparked a criminal investigation, and Anthony Weiner's laptop was seized by the FBI. Okay. But what the hell does Anthony Weiner have to do with Pizzagate? Yes, please. Fill us we- in. Okay. <laughs> you see, <laughs> Anthony Weiner is married to Huma Abedin. Are you familiar with her? No. Okay, she is a literal goddess. She has amazing hair, great taste in lipstick, and she is also a very close longtime advisor to Hillary Clinton. Okay. I, th- I think you should look her up. Huma okay. Abedin. Okay, hold on, let me... I know that I've seen a picture of her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just, like... This woman... Yeah. She is so crazy smart and beautiful. And... I'm sorry, you didn't even mention her teeth. Hello? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. She's perfect in every way. She has perfect teeth. Except she's got this, like, the worst husband on earth. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, so... Like I said, she is a very close longtime advisor to Hillary Clinton. I believe at one point Hillary Clinton even said, you know, obviously I have a daughter named Chelsea, but if I had another daughter, it would be Huma. Like, that's how close. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm kind of distracted by these Anthony Weiner pictures next to his gorgeous wife. Like, I know he looks like a Weiner. Yeah, he's he's a ridiculous human. Okay. Continue. I have to close this. <laughs> Distracted by wieners, as usual. So, of course, on that laptop that Anthony Weiner was using were emails between Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton. And I'm assuming some of them must have been classified. So the FBI was like, hmm, these emails might be pertinent to the investigation that we did this past summer into Hillary Clinton's private email server. So, with just 11 days until the election, then-FBI Director James Comey made the controversial decision to announce to Congress that the FBI was reopening their investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. 
Mm. And of course, huh? Mm. I just said, mmm. 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 Spicy. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the public found out about the reinvestigation in like 2.5 seconds, and it was a huge controversy. Hillary supporters were concerned, and Hillary haters were like, knew it. Mm hmm. Go get her, boys. Clearly, (laughs) something was up. Lock her up. Lock her up. (laughs) Two days passed. It was October 30th, 2016. We're just like a little over a week away from the presidential election. The FBI was doing their thing, investigating. But, you know, the general public wasn't privy to the details of the investigation. We wanted to know what was going on. But we would have to wait for the investigation to end in order to find out what was really going on with Hillary Clinton's emails. Then, all of a sudden, a very well-connected, 100% trustworthy source came forward with a 100% true story. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it was posted to Facebook. As yeah, all that's breaking where I get all my news from Facebook. Yes. It came from someone who used a photo of a cat as their profile picture. They claimed their name was Carmen Katz. And apparently, this well-connected super sleuth hailed from the great state of Missouri. Here's what Carmen had to say about the FBI's renewed investigation into Hillary's emails. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, hang on to your hat. It, it gets bad. My NYPD source said it's much more vile and serious than classified material on Wiener's device. The, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm so immature. Wiener's device. <laughs> <laughs> the email details the trips made by Wiener, Bill, and Hillary on their pedophile billionaire friend's plane, the Lolita Express. Yep, Hillary has a well-documented predilection for underage girls, and Mr. Weiner just could not bear to see those details deleted. We're talking an international child enslavement and sex ring. Not even Hillary's most ardent supporters and defenders will be able to excuse this. Over the course of three hours, that post received a whopping six likes. Clearly. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Are you not impressed, Brandy? Six whole likes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Clearly, this jaw-dropping story deserved a bigger platform. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, a 100% real person on Twitter going by the name David Goldberg who, by the way, uh, also enjoyed chilling on white supremacist forums like you do, screenshotted Carmen Katz's Facebook post and shared it to his Twitter followers with the following text. Rumors stirring in the NYPD that Huma's emails point to a pedophila. I think he means pedophilia. Pedophilia. (laughs) (laughs) Is that worse? (laughs) He was so excited he couldn't get it all right, okay? A pedophila ring and at Hillary Clinton is at the center. Hashtag go Hillary. Hashtag Podesta emails 23. Mm. Have you heard people pronounce it pedophilia? Yes, that's the British way. I don't like it at all. (laughs) So you love pedophilia. Yes, I love pedophilia. Hate pedophilia. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, Brandy, I hate them both. <laughs> Although I pronounce it pediatrician. I don't say pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> Please start calling it pediatrician. <laughs> This tweet garnered more than 6,000 retweets and more than 5,000 likes. Wow. We were officially cooking with gas. (laughs) A few hours passed. Let's hop off of Twitter and Facebook and instead go to an obscure message board where conspiracy theories are very much encouraged. Brandy, it was on this message board that a brave, well-connected, 100% truthful person shared more details about this developing story. Here's what they said. Subject line. Breaking. It's worse than classified emails. Political pedophile sex ring exposed. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Are you saying that because you're so alarmed by the exposed pedophile ring? Pedophile ring? Yeah, pedophile (laughs) ring. (laughs) Okay, here's the body of the message. Here's what it said. I have inside sources and can confirm privately to Ahmad my credentials. There are at least six members of Congress, several top leadership from federal agencies, and others all implicated in a massive child trafficking and pedophile sex ring. This was being directly ran with the Clinton Foundation as a front. Hillary, Bill, all of them knew slash know and were active participants. D.C. and the FBI, DOJ, fear a complete loss of public support for the federal government. This will be breaking on the next few days. Leaks are also coming. Both parties, Mm. all levels of government. It's about to come apart. How do we know that leaks are coming? Do we get warning when leaks are going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's your issue. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> you know, okay, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's it's great for this kind of environment to say leaks are coming because then... If someone else comes forward with something that even smells a little like bullshit, but is kind of along these same lines, it's like, well, we knew we knew more was coming. Maybe this is part of what was coming. Mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, this was pretty disturbing stuff. And clearly shit was about to go down. We just heard about it. Yeah, well, the leaks are coming. Yeah, the leaks are coming. And here they come <laughs> the next day. A website called Your Newswire, which the Pointer Institute has called one of the most infamous misinformers on the Internet, ran a story about this 100% real political pedophile sex ring. In that story, the author cited a source. You see, he'd gotten this info from an FBI insider. Had he talked to this FBI insider directly? No, of course not. Had he verified that this person worked for the FBI? Hell no. The source for this article came from a 4chan message board where some rando anonymous user calling themselves FBI Anon shared the following information. 
Okay, so these these are just the greatest hits. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so the basic thing was Russia is awesome. The Clintons and other people in the government are heavily involved in a sex trafficking scandal. Hillary Clinton accepts political donations in the form of children. Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, is that not something everyone was aware of? (laughs) Yeah, you can do uh, PayPal, you can do a credit card, or just a young child. (laughs) Young child. (laughs) Also, um, she rapes kidnapped girls. So, Mm, okay. Yeah, Oh, also, Bill Clinton will die in 2016. Well. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he's still kicking today. <laughs> still, still doing just fine. Also, and here's an interesting take. Uh, blacks are, vi- this is a quote, blacks are violent and generally impulsive, but they are not all bad. What? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, nothing to question here, right? Seems yeah. all 100% real. All on the up and up. <laughs> <laughs> so, now things were really taking off. And you know what? I, I assumed that the person who wrote this article was a man. I guess I don't technically know because that article has been taken down. Anyway, moving on. Now things were really taking off. Once that article came out, other pro-Trump propaganda sites, you know, right-wing bullshit, started posting similar stories. This conspiracy was taking off like wildfire. But here's the thing. It's no fun to just repost what other people have posted. Sometimes when you see your friends making shit up, you want to add your own spin to it. So another douchey website called subjectpolitics.com, which I hate it when these websites have like legitimate sounding. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's part of the charm. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so they ran. Yeah, if we, could, if we could all just get together and make sure all the shady websites have like a dot net, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> dot bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so they ran the story, but they added, I mean, if I may, a very exciting new twist. Oh, This was their headline. It's over! NYPD just raided Hillary's property. What they found will ruin her life. Uh And and then (laughs) they ran this super cool picture of two, like, NYPD, you know, looks like detectives walking away from a van that was labeled police crime scene unit and they both had these big evidence bags in their hands problem is you can't really tell where they are and obviously you can't see what's in the bags Mm -hmm. so to be super helpful the editors placed a picture of hillary clinton on top of that image and in that picture she's looking like (laughs) super upset (laughs) And the image of Hillary Clinton has this thick red border and big red arrows pointing to the bags of evidence. So, you know, it's super clear Hillary Clinton is upset and she's upset about the big bags of evidence that will ruin her life. Mm hmm. So (laughs) do you remember when they did this raid on her property? It was crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So um, obviously that never happened, but who cares? 
This story was super popular online. People were fired up. Shit was going down. Other fringe net jobby sites started picking up this version of the story. But once again, who wants to just share another site's story when you can make one of your own? Right. So another site put their own newer spin on it. Here was their headline. Breaking bombshell. Which I feel like you pick one or the other. It's yeah, either right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell we're not dealing with the top brass here. <laughs> Breaking bombshell. NYPD blows whistle on new Hillary emails. Money laundering, sex crimes with children, child exploitation, pay to play, perjury. Hmm. Again, not a good headline, right? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to give out tips to these folks, but I would say, you know, who cares about perjury when you've got sex crimes with children? I'd just shorten up. I'd tighten up the writing quite just a tighten bit. tighten that up a bit. <laughs> tighten it up. Enlarge the font. I mean, bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> okay. So by this point, I feel like I should also say, um, hmm. You know, I thought about saying this in the beginning. Obviously, I'm very politically liberal, and I hope this doesn't come across as like making fun of Republicans or moderates. I am making fun of the fringe here, the nut job fringe. Do you think that needs to be said? I mean, I think it's good that you said it, but no, I don't. I think that that's pretty clear. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So by this point, it has only been three days since that original Facebook post and tweet Wait, the Facebook post with the six likes or? Yeah. Yeah, it's been three days since then. And man, how things have changed. All of a sudden, Hillary Clinton's property is getting raided. You know, it's the (laughs) (laughs) things are really taking off. It's very exciting. Also perjury, right? I mean, wow. So, you know, David Goldberg, putting that in quotation marks, on Twitter was the guy who tweeted this whole big thing. And he was watching this all go down and he was super proud of himself. Mm -hmm. He tweeted, my source was right. And he linked to one of these bullshit articles. So now it's like this whole circle of shit where Uh like there's all this bullshit and people are like, oh, this other site said the same bullshit. So it must be true. Yeah, but they're all the same bullshit site. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Here's the frustrating thing, though. Uh, Clearly, these very stable geniuses had uncovered a very serious crime. And clearly, Hillary Clinton and a bunch of other politicians were involved in a child sex ring. There was no doubt about it. Yeah, Yeah. duh. (laughs) There was just one problem. The mainstream media wasn't reporting on any of it. Mm, Weird. (laughs) And no one from the FBI or the NYPD was willing to go on record. Hmm, imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a big cover-up, obviously. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't because none of it was true. What were the nut jobs to do, Brandy? What were they to do? Well, they were to launch their own investigation. By this point, thanks to WikiLeaks, the Clinton campaign chair, John Podesta's emails were readily available for light reading. So... These investigators read the emails, and you won't believe what they found. Turns out, John Podesta was very involved in the child sex ring. In fact, he wrote all about it in his emails. 
More, please. Hello. <laughs> I was waiting for her reaction. <laughs> Brandy, are you are you shocked at the audacity of someone writing <laughs> directly about the child sex ring in an email? Um, I need more information before I decide how alarmed I am by it. Okay, okay. So here's the deal. He wrote in code. So you had to know the code in order to understand how bad it was. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. No, so while you think while you think this is a harmless email about shoes, you trade in the word child sex slave every time they got shoes written in there. Okay, you have basically hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I am serious. So these, oh my God, these dum-dums, they thought they'd cracked the code. Are you ready to hear the code? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Anytime you see the word hot dog. (laughs) In John Podesta's emails, that means, that means boy. Okay. When you see pizza, that means girl. Okay. When you see cheese, (laughs) that means little girl. Okay. And when you see pasta, that means little boy. Ice cream means (laughs) male prostitute. (laughs) What? Walnut means person of color. Map means semen. And of course, sauce means orgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> duh, duh. I mean, so you see an email about a cheese pizza with extra sauce. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, first glance, it looks like a nothing email. But now that we know the code, we know that that is deeply disturbing stuff. Yes. <laughs> By the way, every time I've asked if you wanted to go out for ice cream, I was always speaking in code. I always wanted a male <laughs> prostitute, and you never took me up on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is so sick and so sad. But by this point, this insane story was being seen by so many people. Alex Jones of InfoWars, a uh, close personal friend of the podcast. Brandy loves him. Um, <laughs> Don't you dare spread that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> no, we hate this guy. He's the worst. Yeah. Was talking about Hillary Clinton being a child murderer, which I believe, I believe he said literal child murderer, which it's like, okay, you know, it's one of those things you are or you're not. You don't need to add the word literal to it. Reddit in particular, was all over this. Members of the subreddit, The Donald, created a new subreddit called Pizzagate so that uh, geniuses could get together and really crack this case wide open. And Mm -hmm. boy, did they. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, they decoded John Podesta's emails. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even more troublingly, they discovered, okay, and... Please try not to be too disturbed that there was a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. where this whole thing was going down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Brandy. 
<laughs> okay. Are you ready? I've never been more ready. <laughs> There's a pizza joint in Washington, D.C. called Comet Ping Pong, or sometimes just called Comet. It is located at 5037. <laughs> Screech! <laughs> 5037 Connecticut Avenue, Washington, D.C. Okay, so I don't know how well you can see it. Comet is the kind of dark green pizza shop. It's kind of yeah, covered yeah, up yeah. by some trees. You see it? Yeah. Real cute. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, not real cute. It's no, clearly child, where, child sex ring happening Yeah, it's here. a child sex ring. I'm sorry. I should never say that about a child sex ring. That's right. So it's been on diners, drive-ins, and dives. And, you know, Guy Fieri was like, great pizza, better child sex ring. <laughs> <laughs> They've been profiled in the Washington Post. It's just a fun pizza joint. They've got a back room filled with ping pong tables. Uh, sometimes they have live music. You know, occasionally they have the child sex ring. You know, it's all just part of the charm. Yeah. I should probably mention, I'm kidding, and Guy Fieri never said that. <laughs> I don't want us to get sued. Can you imagine if we got sued by Guy Fieri? Oh. Take us all the way to Flavortown. <laughs> I can't afford to go to Flavortown. Okay. So Comet Pong is owned by Comet Pong. I, I think I just like gave it a whole new name. It's either Comet Ping Pong or just Comet. I'm sorry. It's Com- Com- <laughs> this, this poor owner has been through enough. Um, Comet is owned... <laughs> <laughs> Comet is owned by James Alephantis, and over the years, he's hosted quite a few fundraising events for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He's never actually met Hillary Clinton, but, you know, a few fundraising events there, so that's probably why he's in John Podesta's emails. Right. Um, naturally, I don't no, have to... No, Kristen, I, I'm sorry, have you not been paying attention to this <laughs> there's a child sex ring happening here? Oh, right. Right. That's why he's in the email. He's in there because of his involvement. Yes. <laughs> so obviously, uh, this place is clearly the site of the child sex ring that we've all heard so much about, okay? Shocking, yeah. I know. So the nut jobs began investigating James Alephantis and his spooky pizza shop. <laughs> and they shared their findings on the Pizzagate subreddit. And here's part of what they said. We recently found the Instagram account of James Alephantis. The contents of it are indescribably bizarre, and the contexts of the post and comment chains are weird. Alephantis does not have any children, nor do his closest associates, but the photos seem to be a near-constant assortment of different children of a variety of ages, intermingled between posts about gay bars, clubs, photos of common rape drugs, and piles of foreign currency. After it be... <laughs> Can we pump the brakes here for a I'm sorry. What? Photos of common describes- rape drugs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know how like you just like on Instagram, you you know, you brag about your life. So you're like, here's here's a photo of my niece. Here's a photo of my nephew. Here's a photo of a big pile of foreign currency. Here's my favorite rape drug. You know, <laughs> we all we all get it. It's totally oh, normal okay. stuff. <laughs> so this this person says, you know, basically, hey, I I looked through all these photos, you know, so disturbing, so strange. Did it all last night? 
went back today to look again. Now it's on private. Mm. 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 So <laughs> I did just the slightest bit of digging. And I believe that the photos of like kids and people were like people who had liked Comet Pizza. And like, so they'd like, I assume they gave their permission to have their photos shared on the Instagram account. I don't, I don't really know, but you know, anyway. <laughs> there wasn't a shred of truth to the idea that there was a child sex ring, let alone that it was being operated out of a very specific pizza shop. But it didn't matter because people believed it. They began harassing the restaurant staff. They threatened the restaurant owner. They barraged the restaurant with nasty Yelp reviews. They threatened bands who had performed at the restaurant before. They even called and threatened nearby restaurants. I guess uh, for uh, the crime what? of being <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> even know. I don't even know. <laughs> It was so interesting to read about, like, some of these bands who had, like, performed a couple years before, and all of a sudden they're getting all these trolls, and they're like, what are you guys talking about? Two years ago we performed at a pizza joint, and you're, you're mad? Ugh. It was nuts. The Comet pizza owner, James, told the New York Times, from this insane, fabricated conspiracy theory, we've come under constant assault. I've done nothing for days but try to clean this up and protect my staff and friends from being terrorized. By the way, just an aside, two days before the election, the FBI announced that they'd concluded their investigation and, um, yeah, there was a child sex ring and it was definitely in the basement of Comet Pizza and Hillary Clinton showed up every Tuesday. No, yeah. the FBI... Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> The FBI came to the same conclusion that they came during the first investigation. This was nothing criminal. Hillary Clinton's emails were a nothing burger. Then, of course, the election came. And with the help of our Russian comrades, we got a new president, Donald Trump. And everything's been super great ever since. We are so tired of winning. <laughs> so Hillary lost the election. <laughs> what? You can't joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> is it too soon yeah. i mean it happened quite a few years ago but it's still too soon <laughs> it hurts too much <laughs> so you know hillary lost the election but this pizzagate story was not over i mean what do you think she and all the other politicians just stopped abusing children no it was still going on at least that's what a man named Edgar Madison Welch thought. Mm. What's Edgar got to say? <laughs> Edgar actually goes by Madison for obvious reasons, but I'm choosing to call him <laughs> Edgar. <throughout laughs> so Edgar was 28. He lived in Salisbury, North Carolina. Oh my, poor Edgar's 28. I was picturing a 67-year-old man. I mean, I'm married to a young boy named Norman, so... <laughs> I probably shouldn't call him a young boy in a story like this. Well, I'm married to a pasta named Norman. <laughs> so he had recently had internet installed in his home, and he had been following the Pizzagate story very closely. 
He had uh, he had recently had internet installed in his home. Okay, your privilege is showing. Not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody got internet in the nineties when the AOL okay. discs came to their home. <laughs> Do you remember when we got those little discs in the mail? Yeah. <laughs> Or AOL dial-up, yes. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so he'd apparently been watching a ton of Infowars with Alex Jones, as you do. And, of course, Alex Jones was saying that Hillary Clinton was sexually abusing kids in the basement of Comet Pizza. And uh, he'd also been watching a ton of YouTube videos about Pizzagate, where, you know, brave young men were spouting the truth. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with how to feel here but Edgar had two daughters of his own and he believed every word of this made up story and he was horrified oh gosh he just like drank it all in as fact I believe so I mean it it really seems like you know maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed didn't and I don't even know if that's fair it's just like when you don't when you're not critical of the news you're taking in, mm-hmm. it just can be a really dangerous thing. And so here this guy is with these two young daughters, and he was just fired up. He was terrified. He couldn't believe this was going on. So here he was in North Carolina hearing about kids being sexually abused just a day's drive away. So he decided he had to do something. He was going to put a stop to the child sex ring. He texted a couple friends, asking if they would join him. One of the friends responded, Sounds like we are freeing some oppressed pizza from the hands of an evil pizza joint. Oh, my God. (laughs) And, I mean, Edgar. Edgar was like, hey, watch some of these YouTube videos and I'll call you in the morning. You know, (laughs) I don't know. I guess he thought his friend would, like, see the light after watching some angry YouTube videos and then, like, you know hop on board. Then Edgar reached out to another friend. Would he help with this mission? Did he have any army buddies who would join in? And the friend was like, uh, what's the deal? What are we doing? Here's what Edgar said. Mm -hmm. Raiding a pedo ring, possibly sacrificing the lives of a few for the lives of many. Standing up against a corrupt system that kidnaps, tortures, and rapes babies and children in our own backyard. Defending the next generation of kids, our kids, from ever having to experience this kind of evil themselves. I'm sorry, bro, but I'm tired of turning the channel and hoping someone does something and being thankful it's not my family. One day, it will be our families. This world is too afraid to act, and I'm too stubborn not to. Okay. Okay, how do you feel about that? Because I I feel so... Uh, that seems sincere to me. I, I agree, but that's why it's scary. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying this. I'm saying this is terrifying. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not getting the same vibes as, like, you know, Timothy McVeigh, who was just a... God, what an, what an yeah. evil idiot through and through. And I don't know who... God, here I am, like, being... Uh, is what I'm saying is what I'm saying so uh, none of his friends joined him but that didn't stop Edgar 
On December 4th, 2016, he left the house before his girlfriend and his two daughters woke up. He got a 38 handgun, an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, and a knife, hopped in his Toyota Prius. What? (laughs) That is off-brand. That is so (laughs) off-brand. Okay. Is a Toyota Prius? Okay. No lie. The most... Shocking part of this story is that this man drives a Toyota Prius. Yeah, I thought he'd jump in his F-350. If you had to, like, <laughs> if you had me guess, like, my top hundred guesses for what car this man drives, Toyota Prius, I mean, nowhere on the list. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to say, I'm not making fun of Toyota Priuses. I drive one myself. It's like the best car I've ever owned. But if you had told me that someone listens to Alex Jones... And drives a Toyota Prius, I'd be like, that person does not exist. He is a figment of your imagination. Exactly. But I assure you, this unicorn is real. And his name is Edgar. I would have have guessed there was not a single Trump supporter that drives a Toyota Prius. Hmm. No, um, because there are too many... Uh, too many college-educated white ladies who voted for him. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Which is a thing but I've said you, many but times. But do you only drive a Toyota Prius if you believe climate change is real? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh, now we're getting into the murky, scary waters of <laughs> okay, why you okay. vote for Trump. <laughs> yeah, well, so we should probably back out of this water. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he hops out. Okay, so uh, I, just an aside. I was so shocked when I read the part in the article that was like, he hopped in a Toyota Prius. That I was like, did he rent the Toyota Prius? Like to throw people <laughs> off the like set? Throw people off the trail? <laughs> um, so then I did a deeper dive and I found out that no, he in fact owned the Toyota Prius. That was his car. <laughs> Edgar is clearly a complicated man. I mean, like. That's right. <laughs> So at approximately 3 p.m., he burst into the restaurant with the AR-15 strapped to his chest. He walked toward the back. You know, I mean, it was just chaos. Waiters and waitresses and customers of all ages, you know, just fled the restaurant. Meanwhile, big, brave Edgar stalked around the restaurant in search of the child sex ring he was sure he would find. Yeah, huh? He went back to the kitchen. He found a locked door. He's like, this is it. This is where it is. He tried to open it with a butter knife. That didn't work. So he he shot it open with his gun. Okay, interestingly enough, yes, he shot at it. He shot at the lock a few times, but that didn't work. So I'm like, man, he had to have been just like, I have found it. They have the best lock in town on this thing. So then he climbed on some furniture to look down over the top of the room. So, I mean, I don't know how this works. Anyway, in that room, he discovered. I'm sorry. Wait. Sorry. I keep having to pump the brakes here on this story. Well, naturally, it's a a crazy story. child sex ring was Uh going on in a room with the Uh most secured lock he'd ever seen. Yet the walls didn't go all the way to the ceiling. Listen, I'm not trying to say that he's a genius. Okay. I'm just, I'm just the woman telling you the story, okay? <laughs> so, in that okay. room, yeah, you're, you're like, you're about to miss the biggest part. I mean, drum oh, roll, Kim, please. Sorry. Can you give me a drum I'm roll? Sorry. 
Yeah. In that room, he discovered. <gasps> oh my god, food. You know, it was yeah. like it was like <laughs> you know storage. Can you imagine the look on his face? I mean, he, okay. Anyway, so, you know, he keeps walking. And one source said that he found another door and whipped it open. Another source said that he just, like, kept walking. And he came across. Drum roll, please. <laughs> a scared, shitless employee who was just, like, holding some pizza dough. <laughs> Yes, because there's a man with an AR-15 or whatever walking around the restaurant, shooting the doors open. <laughs> so, well, not even successfully shooting them open. I mean, I hate to be a critic of that, but, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, he aims, I guess he aimed the, the AR-15 at this employee and the employee, of course, like freaked out and fled the scene. And, um... This may shock you, but Edgar didn't find any evidence of a child sex ring that day mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. basement of Comet Pizza. Weird. Yeah, in fact, he didn't even find the basement where the crimes allegedly occurred, and that's probably because Comet Pizza doesn't even have a basement. <laughs> <laughs> They're also not involved in a child sex ring, you know, but I digress, you know. <laughs> Police officers arrived pretty quickly. They tried to secure the area, and about half an hour after he'd entered the restaurant, Edgar came out and was arrested. No one was injured, but you know, people were obviously traumatized. After he was arrested, he waived his right to counsel and told his story, which is just as sad slash stupid slash awful as you'd think it would be. Yeah. He believed a stupid conspiracy theory, and... He said he wanted to go investigate, but I mean, you investigated with an AR-15 strapped to your chest, so you right. obviously believed it. I read this interview with him in the New York Times afterward, and he kind of seemed almost embarrassed. He was like, well, you know, I listened to Alex Jones. He's a little bit extreme sometimes, but, uh, you know, so he's kind of, I, you know... He's kind of acting a little embarrassed, but then at the same time, he's like, but, you know, I think 9-11 really needs to be re-examined. I mean, so obviously this guy is yeah. just, yeah. Anyway, he was initially charged with a handful of firearms charges, but prosecutors dropped those because they wanted him in federal court. So he was then charged with one count of interstate transportation of a firearm with intent to commit an offense. Also... Assault with a dangerous weapon for pointing the gun at the poor, mm -hmm. I mean, that poor employee. Good yeah. grief. And possession of a firearm during the commission of a violent crime. Mm -hmm. In March of 2017, Edgar pled guilty to two of those charges, transporting firearms and ammunition across state lines and assault with a dangerous weapon. Prosecutors had agreed to drop the charge of possessing a firearm while committing a violent crime, which would have gotten him an additional 15 years. I'm sorry, which could have gotten him an additional 15 years. Mm -hmm. Here's something interesting. And I'm like, is this how this works? The article I read in the Washington Post said that Edgar agreed to forfeit the guns and ammo that he'd used that day, which I'm like... Do you get to go commit a crime and then keep all the paraphernalia afterward? I had no idea that's how that yeah, works. That's weird. <laughs> so uh, he agreed to give that away. And he was ordered to pay Comet Pizza about $5,700 plus 
for damaging their computer systems, a door, a lock, and a ping pong table. Which was a ping pong tables. They're Mm. pretty steep. (laughs) They're not cheap. (laughs) You know, it's a small price to pay to bust open a child's sex ring. Am I right? (laughs) Edgar faced up to 20 years in prison. The defense and prosecution agreed that he should probably serve less than that, but they couldn't seem to agree on a sentencing recommendation. I want to pause here. What do you think he deserves for this? Gosh, I don't know. I think it's really tough. Um, I mean, obviously what he did was very dangerous and someone could have gotten very seriously. Yeah, someone could have been killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I also wonder if there is a play for him to be able to sue Alex Jones Mm. for like liability on this. That's interesting. what he said as fact. That's very interesting. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I I wonder about Alex Jones liability and all this. But obviously, I, I mean, I, I think this man, Edgar, deserves to be punished for sure. Mm-hmm. But the I don't is, I don't like, know where I land on the recommendation. Breitbart was in on this, too. I mean, like Michael Flynn tweeted about this. I mean, it's like so many people. Mm-hmm. There's an argument. I, I don't know. Okay, now here's my other question. Are you weirdly sympathetic to him, too, or am I being a weirdo about this? Yeah, I am actually weirdly sympathetic to him because I feel like he really, oh, gosh, he took everything that he he took in as a legitimate news source. And like, this is really happening and someone needs to do something about this. Um, But at the same time, like, you can't protect people from themselves like you have to be able yeah. to to look at information be able to weed out like okay what is actual legitimate information and what is a crazy conspiracy theory yeah yeah i i do have to admit so when i was when i was researching this i went on snopes to look at something mm-hmm. and so on snopes sometimes they'll have excerpts of like a fake article or whatever and for like Longer than I want to admit, I was fooled by one because I hadn't realized that I had like switched into the different that different shaded area where they were quoting from another source. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I realized finally that it was fake was they referred to someone. They were like so and so's gay boyfriend. And they're talking about two men. And I thought. That's kind of a weird way to put it. Why not just say boyfriend? Like, if it's two men, obviously, I just thought it was like, that's weirdly judgy. That seems kind of gross. And um, I just kept thinking of that. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, I'm pulling from some, like, right-wing propaganda Uh site. Yeah. So here I am saying Edgar's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but clearly I'm probably right there next to him. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like sometimes it's, it, it is like you have to... It's difficult to kind of suss out if a if a source is legitimate. I mean, we do a lot of research for this and it's like you you have to, yeah, compare and contrast information and see, you know, what you can verify through another source. It's yeah. I mean, I I guess that's where I feel like a little bit of sympathy towards Edgar, because I think it could be easy initially to get drawn into something and be like, oh, my gosh, this is something that's really happening and no one's doing anything about it. But at the same time, like I said, you can't save people from themselves. Yeah. Mm. So, in June of that year, Edgar was sentenced to four years in prison. 
four, really. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It's pretty, it's pretty low. Yeah, I mean, I will say it's something. Yeah, he so he cooperated. Um, mm-hmm. He did not physically injure anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. In a letter to the court, he wrote that he was, quote, truly sorry for endangering the safety of any and all bystanders who were present that day. He also said that he, quote, came to D.C. with the intent of helping people. Yeah, I think that's the thing that, like, makes me feel a little bit sympathetic is that he obviously thought he was coming there to do good. Yeah, I, I think that's it for me, too, is like. But aren't there so many radicals that think that? Yeah. Um, where's the where's the line? Well, I mean, obviously, he's, here's the line. <laughs> you can't bust into a, to a restaurant right. with a gun. Yeah. But I, I think, like, um, like to use your favorite example, Kristen, don't you think Hitler thought he was doing good? So there, I think there's a big difference, obviously. One is that he was clearly not doing good. It's not, it's right. not just, do I think I'm doing good? It, but it's like, I'm putting myself in his shoes, not uh-huh. Hitler's, Edgar's. <laughs> And, you know, like, if I really thought that a day's drive away, there was an honest to God child sex ring, there were kids locked up, and all it would take was for me to go try to free some kids with a gun. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. That's, I oh, God, how do you... That's, that's <laughs> heroic, no matter how you look at it, because we're all against child sex rings, you know? Right. Yes, yes. There's nobody that is for child sex rings. And I think that's the difference between him and Hitler. <laughs> what <a> weird... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like his, if, if we are taking him at his word and like he really believed that there was a child sex ring and he really believed that he was trying to like save children and stop pedophiles, then I'm like, OK, well, that's a bipartisan issue. My dude. <laughs> We've gotten to a weird part. Of this. <laughs> Here's the thing. America is so divided. Isn't it great that we can all come together on this issue? <laughs> This wasn't over, though. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) No. So this poor owner of Comet Pizza, he had been traumatized and he'd been accused of running a child sex ring, which I don't know that there's anything worse you can be accused of doing. So he looked himself in the mirror and he said, let's Let's go to court. court. (laughs) I love trying to say things in unison. (laughs) So... You mentioned earlier that you were kind of hankering for an Alex Jones lawsuit, thinking maybe, oh, well, asking you shall receive. Yep, yep, here we go. His attorneys sent a letter to Alex Jones, and they were like, you know Pizzagate was bullshit. You know you spread lies. They hurt people. We demand an apology and a retraction. Okay. Under Texas law, Alex Jones. I was going to say, that all sounds fair to me. Like, well, Yeah, at the very least, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, come on. Under Texas law, Alex Jones had a choice. He could either issue the apology and retraction within one month of receiving that letter, 
And if he didn't, he'd be hit with a libel suit. Yeah. Apparently, our boy Alex didn't think he'd do too well in court. Okay. First of all, your boy Alex, not my boy Alex. No, you're totally with him on the gay frogs no. thing. <laughs> <laughs> on the same day that Edgar pled guilty, Alex Jones posted a video on his website. In that video, he read a prepared statement. Here's part of what it said. In our commentary about what had become known as Pizzagate, I made comments about Mr. Alephantis that in hindsight I regret, and for which I apologize to him. We apologize to the extent our commentaries could be considered as negative statements about Mr. Alephantis or comic ping-pong, and we hope that anyone else involved in commenting on Pizzagate will do the same thing. I hate it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We apologize to the extent our commentaries could be considered uh -huh. as negative statements. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gee, I don't know. Would someone maybe consider it negative to be yeah, accused of like running saying, a child sex ring? Yeah. That's like when someone's like, well, I'm sorry you took what I said as blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, that's not the same as saying you're sorry for saying what no, you said. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry you're so sensitive and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> sorry if you're offended. Yes. So, in the aftermath of Pizzagate, a lot of people were horrified and confused. In particular, real news organizations were stunned. How had this conspiracy theory become so widespread? A study of voters in early December of 2016, and granted, this was a small sample size, revealed that 9% of respondents thought that Hillary Clinton was connected to a child sex ring being run out of a pizzeria in Washington, D.C. Oh, my gosh. 9%. And 19% said they weren't sure. Oh, no. Is, I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. So many people believed this. Yeah. Journalists began looking into how this conspiracy theory came about. Rolling Stone did an excellent piece about this. It's called Anatomy of a Fake News Scandal by Amanda Robb. And it's long and doesn't go into the court stuff, but I just want to give you a few highlights. Yeah. What they discovered was that this conspiracy came about thanks to a mix of, and I'm quoting, ordinary people online activists, bots, foreign agents, and domestic political operatives. Many of them were associates of the Trump campaign, and others had ties to Russia. What's a domestic political operative? Hmm. Uh, I mean, you could say you don't know. I'm just curious. I would be guessing it would be like a Michael Flynn type guy. Right, right. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Okay. Could be totally wrong. <laughs> Okay, now this part, like, I could not resist. <laughs> I could not resist not telling you this part. Okay. Okay. Do you remember the Facebook post that I talked about in the beginning from, you know, Carmen? Yeah, they got six likes. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Carmen from, Katz from, in Missouri, yeah, right? from Pussy Galore or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this journalist for Rolling Stone investigated all these different accounts, you know, who'd put forth all this false information. And the journalist looked into Carmen Katz. Uh-huh. Here's what she discovered. 
no one named Carmen Katz lives in Missouri. Uh-huh. Shocking. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Carmen Katz loves signing change.org petitions. For example, she signed a petition called, good God, put Donald Trump's face on Mount Rushmore. Oh, no. Which what? just, like, strap me to a rocket and send me elsewhere. I mean, are you... <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, every time she signed a petition, the person who signed it right before her was a woman named Cynthia Campbell. And oh, have we discovered her real identity? <laughs> I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? Cynthia Campbell lives in Joplin, Missouri. Hmm. And she and Carmen Katz have the exact same profile picture of a cat. Oh, weird. Turns That's out. It's a heck of a coincidence. Yeah, it's a huge coincidence. Not at all linked. I don't want to hear some conspiracy theory about how they're the same person. <laughs> she is a 60-something-year-old attorney. The journalist reached out to her, and after some prodding and showing up at her door, Cynthia admitted that she had set up the Carmen Katz account. But um, uh, it had been hacked a few oh, of years course. earlier. Just like, just like Wiener's account. That's huh? right. That's right. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, please ignore the NRA sticker on the door. I'm just a fan of hunting. And, um, oh, by the way, I'm secretly a Democrat. What? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, okay. kiss my whole asshole. You are not a Democrat, my friend. <laughs> So this journalist was like, oh, okay. Um, well, sometimes accounts are hacked. All right. But the next morning, Cynthia texted her 21 times. And boy, howdy, she sounded exactly like that nut job Carmen Katz. Uh-huh. <laughs> In those texts, she said such gems as, people like you don't give a shit that you destroy innocent humans' lives. Go back to your soul-sucking job. You are fake news, which, I mean, that is rich. <laughs> and stalking and harassing innocent people who have done nothing to you is wrong, evil, and illegal. Hmm. Then, okay. Cynthia threatened to report her to the ACLU. <laughs> wow. Hold on. <laughs> and... <laughs> The Geek Squad from Best Buy. What? <laughs> What's the Geek Squad? <laughs> okay, I just, I'll, I'm just picturing Norm. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he runs up to some journalist and goes, stay away. I'm <laughs> part of the Geek Squad. <laughs> I will report you to the ACLU and Best Buy's and Geek Best Squad. Buy's Geek Squad? Okay, so that was just a, a fun aside about one of my fellow Missourians. Hmm. Even though Pizzagate has been debunked, it was clearly bullshit from the start. There are still people who believe it, though. And in January of 2019, a man walked into Comet Pizza, which was filled with people, and he set it on fire. Oh, my gosh. Luckily, no one was hurt, and the fire was quickly extinguished. I can't imagine what it's like to work there. I'm sure they're just on pins and needles all the time. Yeah, you would be. 
A few weeks later, the man pled guilty and was sentenced to 48 months in prison. He never admitted to a motive, but I've got a wild guess. A few days after that first attack on Comet Pizza, Hillary Clinton was asked for her thoughts. And she said, It's now clear that so-called fake news can have real-world consequences. Yeah. And that, my friends, is the batshit crazy story of Pizzagate. What a wild ride that was. Do you want to go out for ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I my head was spinning reading about this. Uh, Yeah. uh, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) It's so sad and weird. Yeah, that's nuts. What do you mean by that? Walnuts or? No. (laughs) (laughs) I also think it is that we feel that little bit of of sympathy or empathy towards Edgar. Oh, I think it's totally simple. It's like assuming, you know, assuming his motives were pure. He thought he was going to go stop a child sex ring. He got there, realized there wasn't one. And I mean, he didn't hurt anybody. Yeah. And he pled guilty. And he apologized. Right. I mean, I certainly don't want to sit down and have a beer with the guy. I don't want to go anywhere near him. But, uh, you know, I can. What about ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) I sure would love to share an ice cream with him. (laughs) Extra sauce. (laughs) No, don't you think that's what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's got. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. So many people we talk about have like terrible motives and they um, they won't admit to anything and all this stuff. And yeah. Uh, yeah. There you have it. Whew. that was a wild ride. <laughs> was that the wildest ride you've ever been on, though? I've been on Mr. Toad's wild ride. So no. <laughs> Now, what is that code for? I wonder. (laughs) All right. You want to talk about a fire? (laughs) Yeah, I do, I guess. (laughs) Shout out to my boy, Seamus McGraw, over at the crime library. Dang. (laughs) If only these people knew how much you love them. I love them all so much. You need, like, framed (laughs) pictures of them on your wall. (laughs) And these are my top 10 favorite crime writers. Yes. (laughs) Oh, here's a photo of my child. It's much lower and smaller. So, okay, this, I knew like the tiniest bit about this story. And there's like hardly any information available about it, except for one giant piece by Seamus McGraw. All right, Seamus. Thank you. I mean, he, yeah, he delivered here. Okay. Okay. Seton Hall University is a private Catholic university in South Orange, New Jersey. It was founded in 1856 by Bishop James Roosevelt Bailey, Hmm. who then named it after his aunt, Elizabeth Ann Seton. It is the oldest university under the control of the diocese. Diocese? Diocese? Diocese. (laughs) In the United States. Okay. 
I personally am really only familiar with Seton Hall because the Jayhawks played them on St. Patrick's Day in 2018 during the NCAA tournament. Oh my God, boo, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Seton Hall, I'll have you know, was an eight seed while the Jayhawks were a one seed and we... Meaning, you know, the Jayhawks. Yeah, because you were playing on the team at the time. We play terribly Mm. when we're a one seed. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the Jayhawks did manage to squeak out a win that day, beating the Pirates 89 to 70. It was like 83 to 79. 83 to 79. Brandy, I will will flip this table (laughs) table over. If you tell me any more about sports, this is non-consensual. I don't want to learn. I will have you know that they advanced to the Sweet 16. And for anyone who's still listening and interested, which I'm sure is no one, KU did go on to make it to the Final Four that year, losing to Villanova, who ended up tournament champs. Okay. One last fun fact about the 2018 NCAA tournament. Kristen, have you completely zoned out? Are you refusing to speak any longer? <laughs> oh, damn it. I started laughing. I was, I was like, I'm going to make her think that I've taken off my headphones and I've gone to another room. <laughs> uh, uh, so my last fun fact about the 2018 NCAA tournament is this is actually the first time in history that a one seed was taken down by a 16 seed in the first round when the University of Virginia lost to UMBC, which until that day I had never heard of and thought it was a bank. You know, anyway, here's the deal. Lately, sports <laughs> sports have been canceled lately due to lack of interest. So, <laughs> not due to lack of interest. I miss sports so much. You know what? Norman said, "Oh my god, can you hear that loud ass lawnmower?" Oh my lord. No, what is it? A loud ass what? Lawnmower. It is the lawn. Oh, no, I can't hear. It. So, okay, Norman and I were sitting around. We were um having having lunch and just kind of sitting around and he just all of a sudden in the saddest voice goes I miss sports <laughs> I miss sports so much I, I tell you what this pandemic has sucked oh my god I can and, hear oh, the lawnmower it's so loud it's so loud it's one of those city ones where they've got the I've always kind of wanted to ride on one they've got the, the stand up yeah ones? yeah and he yeah. just you know toots along toot toot yeah anyway in conclusion, I felt like I was studying a rare bird hearing about, like, missing <laughs> sports. I just didn't understand it at all. Yeah, I also miss sports a lot. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about Seton Hall. Is that too sad? <laughs> you'd better, you'd rather talk about a fire than talk about how I talk about a fire instead of how much I miss sports. <laughs> okay. Tiny, it's serious, Kristen. All right, I'm there. It was just after 4.30 in the morning on January 19th, 2000, when Tom Puleisi, Puleisi, Mm. it's an Italian name and I'm probably butchering it. Okay. Was jolted from his sleep by the sound of a fire alarm. Tom was a freshman at Seton Hall living in... Boland Hall, one of the dorms on campus. My <laughs> script autocorrected to Poland Hall, and I knew that was not correct. <laughs> okay. That's why I stuttered there for a second. So he's living in Boland Hall, which is just one of the many dorms on campus. And in the five months that he had lived there, this had to be at least the sixth time the smoke alarms oh, had yeah. gone off. Dorms, like anytime anyone popped popcorn, all of a sudden yeah. our firearms, or firearms, whoa. Firearms. <laughs> Whoa! I went to a very liberal school in Boston. I assure you there were no firearms. Fire alarms went off. It was so annoying. Yeah. So 
Tom and his roommate, Frank Caltabalota, who had been best friends since like the seventh grade, had learned to get a real friendship. They should all start in fifth grade. (laughs) But so so they'd been kind of conditioned to ignore these fire alarms because they never meant anything. Right. And on this particular night, Tom was about to make a comment to Frank about how annoying the fucking smoke alarms were and then roll over and go back to sleep. Only when he looked at Frank, Frank seemed concerned. So Tom kind of rubbed the sleep out of his eyes, sat up in bed and followed Frank's gaze across the room to their door. Thick black smoke was seeping in, slowly filling their room. This was not a false alarm. Despite the fact that there had been more than half a dozen false alarms in their time living in the dorm, Tom and Frank quickly realized that they had no idea what they were supposed to do. No one had ever told them, like, what the fire escape plan was. Really? So they, no, they had never run through a fire drill, nothing. Wait, so... I'm sorry, when in the past, when the fire alarm had gone off, like nobody, nobody exited the building. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's bizarre. It was just like everybody was so used to it. They're like, oh, just ignore it. It happens all the time. Oh, wow. And so they were completely conditioned to do that same thing. So they quickly kind of like take stock of what their what their options are. They lived on the third floor. And so jumping out of their window onto the sidewalk below didn't seem like an option either of them wanted to try. Mm -hmm. So that all that really left was just going out into the hall with no idea where the fire itself was. When they first opened the door, they were knocked back by thick smoke and toxic fumes Frank decided he was going to go first. He dropped to the floor, trying to crawl below the smoke and find an exit. But the smoke was so thick that Tom lost sight of him almost as soon as he entered the hallway. So Tom entered the hall next, and he was unsure of even which direction Frank had gone when he left the room. Oh, my God. He couldn't see anything. He couldn't hear anything. As far as he knew, he was the only person in the hallway trying to make it to safety. Like, smoke was so dark and so thick, he couldn't see his hand in front of his face without it being, like, an inch away. Oh, my God. This is terrifying. Yeah. As he crawled, he kind of kept in mind something that he had either like learned in a fire safety course, like in elementary school, or maybe he heard it on TV. He couldn't be sure. But stay low became this like mantra that he just like chanted to himself over and over again as he crawled blindly in search of an exit. Oh, my gosh. As he's like crawling, he can't see anything. He's repeating, stay low to himself over and over again. All of a sudden, there's this like searing pain in his neck and he's trying to ignore it and just move forward. But he comes so bad, he like reaches back. The heat in the building, it turns out, had gotten so intense that this gold necklace he always wore was glowing <gasps> red and oh. burning his skin. Oh my God. So he tried to pull it off, but it was like too hot. He couldn't get enough of a grasp on it and so he just had to ignore it yeah and keep moving forward even though it was literally branding his neck oh my god oh 
He crawled further along the hallway until a pain unlike anything he'd ever felt before started in his hands and then moved up to his wrists. He pulled his hands close to his face to inspect them and kind of instinctively shook them off in an attempt to like dissipate the pain. You know yeah. what you do like when you, yeah, you, know, yeah. you kind of shake your hand off when you when you hurt something as he did hunks of <gasps> his burning flesh. Oh, my God. Fell away and hung there just charred. Oh, fire investigators would later theorize that at this point, the fire was burning so hot over 1500 degrees. They estimated (gasps) that it had turned the synthetic hallway carpet molten. Oh, my God. Tom was essentially crawling through lava on his hands and knees. At this point, Tom knew he had to get his skin off the carpet. So he managed to like stagger to his feet and he was trying to hold his breath because the higher he got, the thicker the smoke was. But he only made it a few steps before he collapsed against a door. Yeah. At this point, he was slipping in and out of consciousness. He'd inhaled so much smoke. He was in so much pain that like he didn't even feel it when someone opened that door and he wasn't conscious when someone grabbed him and pulled him to safety. Oh my gosh. He had no idea that he'd actually made it out of the building. <sighs> As I said, the smoke was so thick and dark that Tom had felt like he was the only one still in the building fighting to escape, but that wasn't the case. Less than a hundred feet from him down another set of a hall, uh, like another hallway. So there was like kind of like three hallways that converged at like a student lounge. Uh-huh. And so down one of the other hallways, Dana Christmas was trying to figure out what the hell to do. She was the 21 year old RA for the like that portion of the dorms. Yeah. And when the fire alarms had gone off and she had realized there was actually a fire, she couldn't leave the building. Like she just couldn't do it. She felt like nobody knew what they were supposed to do and she couldn't abandon them. And so she just started knocking on doors and telling people to leave. Oh, my God. She was just running from door to door, banging on doors, telling people to get to the stairwells, get out of the building. That's someone who takes her RA job very seriously. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So as she's doing this, all of a sudden she feels this like crazy pain on the back of her head. Her scalp had burst into flames. (gasps) What? I did not know that was a thing that could happen. Yes. So she obviously, like you do, like it's just your normal instinct to do. She starts to pat it out with her hands and her hands caught on fire. Oh, my God. Brandy, what the hell? I had the courtesy of telling you a fake story. This is too real. (laughs) (laughs) Despite this, despite the fact that her scalp and her hands were literally on fucking fire, she still didn't leave the building. She kept hitting on doors and kept making sure people knew where to go. To this day, Dana has no idea how she got out of the building. At some point, she collapsed and she has like a vague recollection of someone picking her up and carrying her downstairs and out of the building. What do you think you would do in this situation? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no, I can't imagine that I'd do what Dana did and stay there despite my fucking head being on fire. I know for a fact I wouldn't. I I don't think I would. Yeah. You know the story about me, right? About how (laughs) the hotel fire alarm went off. (laughs) Do you know this? You gotta tell it. (laughs) (laughs) But do you know it? I feel like you. I think I do know it. (laughs) Okay. When I was in high school, 
this, this is this is admitting that I'm a terrible person. So <laughs> when I was in high school, I would go on, you know, all the journalism trips because I was very cool. Yeah. And um, I think it was on a trip to Washington, D.C. You know, we were there was a bunch of us piled into a hotel room. I want to say there were like six of us in like mm-hmm. uh, an embassy suites. And it was like midnight, maybe, maybe later. And the fire alarm went off (laughs) and I think it had been going off for a while. And finally I woke up and I sat up in bed and everyone else was still asleep except for (laughs) (laughs) Laura and we'll bleep her last name. And Laura and I made eye contact with one another from across the room. Everyone else is asleep. (laughs) And I just got up and bolted and she stayed behind and woke everyone up. And like when one of the girls was like trying to get her suitcase, Laura was like, no, no, we got to go. I mean, it was like the most clarifying moment of whether you're a good person. And obviously I'm not because like it was a bad situation and I peace the fuck out. Obviously, here I sit you know, doing my little dog and pony show here. Laura, of course, is a public school teacher. (laughs) (laughs) True colors shining through. Yeah, it's pretty clear that you would not have been Dana. (laughs) No, see, that's, and that's like, I'm listening to this story. I'm like, what an amazing person. And sometimes I like to fantasize like, well, maybe I'd do the same thing. Nope, nope. We know, we know in a fire drill situation, I am out the fucking door. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Dana somehow gets out of the building. This other kid that kind of lived on the same hallway, but on the opposite end from Dana, his name was Nick Donato and he had opened his door and been just overwhelmed by the amount of smoke. He thought, you know, I have to get out of here. And he had thought the same thing um, that Tom and Frank had. Like, I can't jump out of my window. Mm. There's, who even knows if I'll make that fall? Like, I might die. And so he was like trying to walk through the smoke when all of a sudden he had completely lost his sense of direction. He didn't know if he was walking in a circle. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't see anything. And so he managed to feel his way back to his room and he closed the door to try and, you know, keep as little smoke as possible coming in. And then he was like, this is it. I either die here in my room now by burning in this fire or I jump out of my window. And so he kicked out the glass in his window and then he like, climbed out and hung from the windowsill to get as close to the ground as he could. We're talking like the third floor. So what, like a a 30 foot drop? I have no idea. At least. But too, too high. Yeah. I think more than that. Anyway, so he's like, this is it. Like I have to, I... I have to do this. And so he lowered himself as much as he could. And then he kind of pushed off the building, hoping that he wouldn't land on the sidewalk that was directly below. And he'd land in the grass for some kind of padding. Yeah. And he did. When he landed, he was so overjoyed by the fact that he had made it out of the building and he was still alive, that he was completely numb to all the pain that he had just inflicted on himself. He had broken his foot, his wrist. He broke part of his back. Oh God. Uh, Yeah. He was 
injured badly, but he literally like got up and walked to where everyone else is, despite all of these injuries, like just on pure adrenaline alone. Yeah. Tom's roommate and best friend, Frank, was not so lucky when he left their dorm room. He'd turned left. This is the route he took every Wait, day. Wait, is this on the one I said class. get a real friendship? Real friendship starting. Yeah. Back. Good God. Uh-huh. Why am I such a yes. douchebag? I take it back. <laughs> Obviously, that's a real friendship. He's just kidding. Good Lord. So when he left the room, he turned to the left. This was the same route he took every day on his way to class. He went down the hall, through the student lounge, to the elevators. And so to him, like, that was the way out of the building. So that's the way he'd gone. Mm. He had no way of knowing that. The heart of the fire, the ignition point, was in that student lounge that he was walking towards. Investigators would later say that Frank had likely succumbed to the smoke and heat before Tom had even ventured into the hallway in the opposite direction. And that had Frank gone right, as Tom did, he likely would have survived. God, that's so sad. Yeah. When fire crews arrived on the scene, like it was just like one set of firefighters initially came because they were responding to a couch fire call. That's how the call initially came in, that there was a couch fire. Oh, my god. When they got there, though, and they saw the amount of smoke billowing out of this building, they're like, holy shit, this is something that's way worse than that. Yeah. So they had to call tons of backup and they had to enlist the students who had evacuated the building to help put ladders and stuff up to these third floor windows to get people out you are kidding me no oh and then they couldn't get the fucking fire hydrant to open because it was so cold out it was 20 degrees the fire hydrant was frozen so an extended amount of time went by before they even had a chance to start putting this fire out Mm. by the time they got the water flowing and the hoses working, it took only minutes, like like literally a minute to extinguish the blaze. But the damage had already been done. In all, 56 kids were injured. Oh, my God. In the fire. Three had lost their lives. Oh. The three victims were Frank, Calta Belota, Aaron Carroll, and John Giunta. They were all freshmen and they all lived kind of in the same the same area. Frank and Aaron, I believe, uh, had died near the lounge where the fire was. That was the direction they had gone to escape. And John had died of smoke and inhalation Hmm. of the 56 that were injured. Four of them, including Tom, who we you know, we know what happened to him, were injured really badly tom was like put into a medically induced coma for like two weeks yeah so that his body could heal because there's like nothing they can do for you for pain when you're healing from a burn obviously blink 182 is like my favorite band (laughs) um and so uh (laughs) what does that have to do with i'll I'll get i will get there connection (laughs) it is it is so travis barker is the drummer for blink 182 i met him it was really cool Anyway, um, you that's a shouted story for another at him. time. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> it's a short story. Go ahead. Got, okay, so I went to. So he also is the drummer for the Transplants, and the Transplants were on Warp Tour in like 2005. And I went to Warp Tour and caught his drumstick when he threw it into the crowd at the end of his show. And so after his set, there was like a section where there was like fencing where the people would walk by back back to their tour buses. And so I knew he would walk by there, and I wanted him to sign his drumstick. And so he did. He he walked by there and he stopped. 
and he was signing a bunch of stuff and but he was getting ready to leave and I hadn't got him to sign it yet and so I was just like <laughs> he was, as he was getting ready to turn and walk away I was like Travis 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 and I just said his name like five times like as loud as I could and so he finally turns and he goes what <laughs> 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 and I was like, hey, will you sign your drumstick? And he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he signed it. And that was like the last thing he signed, and then he left. <laughs> he he had some thoughts about you, man. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. <laughs> anyway, my dog might be named after him. It's a whole thing. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so what I'm saying, anyway, he was famously, he survived a plane crash. He was like one of two survivors in a horrible plane crash. And he suffered crazy burns as a result of this plane crash. And he wrote a book about it. And in his book, he talks about when he was in the hospital and how horrible the pain was that he just wished he would die. Mm. Like, cause they can't do anything. He just got like skin grafts on top of skin grafts. And like, while that skin is growing and trying to heal, it is so painful. Even like the lightest breeze across your skin just feels like the most pain you've ever felt in your life. Ugh. And there's no, no amount of pain medication will do anything for it. So in a lot of these cases where the people have intense healing to do and like intense skin grafting, they do, they put you in like a medically induced coma to get you through the worst of it. And so Tom was in this medically induced coma for two weeks. He didn't even know his best friend had died. Oh, yet. God. Ugh. Yeah. Sorry, I'm completely gone off track. I need to find where I was. <laughs> you were about to name your top 10 Blink-182 songs. I probably was. <laughs> so this happened at like 4.30 in the morning. The fire had broken out. By 9 o'clock that next morning, the smoke was gone. The fire had long been out. You know, students had gathered into a cafeteria and the police were there ready to take statements, you know, figure out you know, what had happened. Obviously, an investigation had already begun into, you know, the cause of this fire. This had burned very hot and had spread very fast. And immediately it looked to them that this was something that had been started. This was not some faulty wiring or somebody had flicked a cigarette. It, you know, this was something that had been intentionally started. Really? They were pretty sure they had an arson on their hands. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they they set about uh, interviewing kids who had in in the dorm that night. What did you see? What did you hear? You know, just trying to get any information. And by this time, the news of this fire had spread across town, obviously, and news vans were out front and they were wanting to get interviews with students who had been there and had seen what was going on. And and most of them had no interest. Yeah. In this at all. Except for this one. Oh, this boy. One okay. Here we go. Here's our guy. <sighs> this guy. This yeah. guy. A.K.A. I will this describe guy. him, yeah, as uh, someone who would fit in nicely on the Jersey Shore. Oh. His name was Joe Lapore, and he was real eager to do an interview with those news fans. His roommate and best friend, they'd been best friends since they were at least in the fifth grade. Sean okay. was his like had no interest and he as soon as they were approached by the news people Sean like was like peace out no I'm not interested he walked away but Joe was like eh, yeah what do you want to know and so he this is what he tells the police or I'm sorry tells the news at first I thought it was a false alarm you know someone did something stupid but then when I opened the door I was like oh no this is real 
and it was scary as hell. There was just a lot of smoke. You couldn't even see 10 inches in front of your face. Mm-hmm. You know, just a really, he was pretty broken up about everything that he'd seen that day. And so, so hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Your delivery of this is quite like, yeah, so blah, 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 blah. was that how he delivered it? Just like, yeah. Okay. Yes. To my, it is my understanding that that's, he was very casual about it, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. First I, first I thought this was some crazy prank and then I was like, whoa, man, there's actually a fire. Great. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So. Reporters didn't really think much of his reaction. They were like, oh, great. We got a good statement from somebody who was actually there, you know, whatever. But police immediately thought that his statement about like, oh, I thought maybe it was like a prank or someone had done something stupid was very telling. Mm. Like that seemed like an odd thing for him to surmise about the situation or, you know, to even hint at. And so they immediately start looking into Joe and his friend and roommate, Sean. They're like. These have got to be our guys, but this would be nearly impossible for them to prove. The arson investigation had, like I said, determined that, yes, this was a fire that had been intentionally started. There was no like hard hitting evidence that is available in a lot of arson investigations. There was no accelerant used. There was no like, you know, nothing was left unburned at the scene or something like that as some kind of attachment to to a particular person. Right. And so the fact that there was no accelerant used meant that this would be very hard to prove that this was an intentionally started fire and that the results of it had been what this person had intended. So they formed this task force to to look into this investigation once they've determined that, yes, this was a yes, this was an arson. Yes, we know somebody for sure set this on purpose and pretty sure who we know it is. We know who did it, but we've got to be able to prove it. They put together this like crazy task force of all these guys who had like tons of experience. Like a couple of them had been involved in the hunt for the Unabomber. One of the people on the task force had been one of the guys that found evidence that cracked open the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. Like they put the best of the best on this case, because at this point, this was one of the deadliest fires in like university history. Uh And people took like a particularly strong stance against like finding out what happened here, especially these task force members, because like they were all parents and they saw this as like a crime that had been done against children. Yeah. And likely something that like some irresponsible like frat kid had done and they wanted to make sure that that person paid their consequences for Mm -hmm. it. They knew that this would be a super tricky case to prove. But they had their suspicions. As I said, they thought for sure it was Joe and Sean, and they wanted to give them a chance to fess up. Like, tell us that this was a prank. Tell us that it had escalated and that you didn't mean for this to happen. Something that got out of control, but it didn't seem like Joe or Sean were going to be telling the truth anytime soon. In fact, on January 21st, so two days after the fire, Uh Joe and Sean meet up with their other two best buddies, Tino and Michael. So these four kids all grew up in Florham Park, New Jersey. And this is kind of like a really interesting little like 
neighborhood because it's a weird mix of like working class people and then also like suspected mobsters that all <laughs> kind of live in this same community okay. together. Like one of these guys, like dad was like a used car salesman or something. And then another one was a suspected mobster who had like charges pending okay. for like a mob hit. And so police really had their eye on this group of four guys. So it turns out that they had this, that these four kids had like a secret, I know what you did last summer type meeting on January 21st, two days after the fire. They met at Dunkin' Donuts in their hometown. As you do. And basically. That's the most Northeastern thing I've ever heard. (laughs) There is a Dunkin' Donuts on every fucking corner. Yes. And what investigators would later find out is that at that meeting, the four of them took like a death pact that they would take to their grave what had happened that night in that dorm. Interesting. So apparently some kind of shenanigans had ensued and Sean had ripped down this construction paper banner that was in the lounge during some kind of fart, fart, sorry, (laughs) not a fart, a fight or an argument. It has turns out. It was either a fart or an argument. Sometimes that can lead to an argument. Yep. (laughs) Hard to know for sure. But there was like this construction paper banner that was hanging in this, in this student lounge. And like during this argument, he'd ripped it down and like part of it was still attached to the wall and the, and the rest of it hung over one of the couches in the lounge. Uh So all four of them were present during that time. But then Tito uh, or Tino, I'm sorry. His name is Santino, but he goes by Tino. Okay. And Michael had left the dorm like an hour before the fire had started. They had them like on security camera going to White Castle. Like they could tell that they were not in the building um, at the time of the fire. But they had witnessed that banner being pulled down. And they'd also witnessed a a conversation that took place about we should set it on fire and make sure make everybody have to evacuate the building when it's 20 degrees outside. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Oh, yeah. Hilarious. But on but what could go wrong. Yeah. But on this day, two days after the fire, they all took this oath that they would swear to each other that they would never talk about it. They'd never mention it like serious. I know what you did last summer. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So investigators had to uh, uh, at this point, they're not aware of that. at all. They only have their suspicions. Uh, Obviously, their knowledge of that meeting and all of that would come out much later. All of their suspicion just come from that one news interview. Yes. And when they questioned one of the resident, one of the other RAs, this guy, Dan, he had talked about how there had been some kind of incident in the student lounge that night and that he tried to break it up and that he had been unsuccessful. Um, Mm -hmm. And that it was these two guys that he was always dealing with, like he had problems with them. They were always tearing down his posters that he worked so hard on. Uh, (laughs) Like these guys were like super douchey, like frat guy dudes. And Dan was like a very dedicated RA who took the time to put up this great construction paper banner <laughs> welcoming back everybody from Christmas break. <laughs> Poor Dan. God, I know 
know. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how the suspicion grew is because he told them that night that he would tried to break up some kind of there was like a wrestling match or an argument in the dorm or in the in the student lounge that night. And during that, they had ripped down his banner and he had seen it laying across the couch. Mm -hmm. So they had determined that the couch was the ignition point. They knew that was where the fire had started and that it had then spread to the other couches in the lounge and then spread to the carpet and spread throughout the entire third floor. Mm. So that's kind of how the the theory into these two guys being responsible for this kind of was formed. Right. They were kind of their their attention was kind of piqued by what he said in that initial interview. And when they talked to multiple people who were at the dorm that night, the RA said, yeah, they were definitely up to multiple shenanigans. And then someone else had seen like the initial start of the fire in the the lounge shortly after they had seen John or Joe and Sean mm-hmm. there, apparently. Mm-hmm. But how do you prove it? Yeah, that's like you've got to get a confession. You got to crack one of these. I'm my money's on Tino or Tito or whatever his name is. Tino, <laughs> Tino, Tino. So what the police thought that they could do to use to their advantage was these suspected mob connections that these families had. So one of the kids, like I said, his dad was a suspected I don't know, mobster. And then another one of the kids was friendly with the family of a confessed mob hitman. And so somehow the police are like, okay, we got to, we got to swing this, use this to their advantage. And huh, it's going to get crazy how they, how they do this. Because I'm really like, I'm really not impressed by the mob adjacent kid. I I agree. I agree. I agree. And one thing that they thought was really odd, too, was when they talked to Joe and Sean about their activity that night when the fire alarm had gone off and everything is that they lived in like a suite. So they lived in a two room like dorm that was connected to another two room dorm that was connected with a bathroom. And they hadn't taken the time to alert the people on the other side of the suite about the fire before they left the building. Maybe they were a couple of Christians. They were a couple. Turns out they were just a couple of Christians. <laughs> yeah. The police wanted them to be a couple of Laura's. Turns out they were a couple of Christians. One thing that the cops were sure of, and they were throwing this word around a lot, mm-hmm. was that this was this was for sure a conspiracy. This had been a plan that they had put together and that these four kids were working together to cover it up and that they knew they just had to start pulling at threads to try and unravel it. And it started unraveling pretty quickly. Really? Um, but the investigation, the investigation would take like three years. Okay, well, um, I would not call that pretty quickly, ma'am. I mean, I hate to be a stickler. Okay, they got their first little thread pulled two days after the fire when they were interviewing Sean Ryan. Uh-huh. So at first, he didn't say anything about the banner. He didn't say anything about seeing anything in the lounge that night. He said that when... He was in the hallway and he saw the fire after the fire alarm went off that he was the one that alerted the RA that there was a fire going on. And then he he grabbed his roommate, Joe, and that they were out the back staircase, which that's real nice that he took the time to alert somebody. No judgment here. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but at the same time, so like they're like questioning him more about what the RA's take on that night was, what his version of what happened that night was. And they wanted to know if he had seen anything, if he'd seen anybody, you know, the police did that whole thing or like, you know, we know you're, you know, you're really good friends mm-hmm. with a lot of people you live with in the dorm. And, you know, maybe you saw something in that night and you don't really feel comfortable saying it and blah, 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 blah. Yep. And his only response to that was, I'm no rat. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And like the next day, all four of those kids who had had that meeting at Dunkin' Donuts all lawyered up. So this this really pissed the police off. Mm-hmm. So initially they had gone into this and they were like, you know, okay, let's just talk to these kids. Let's give them a chance to fess up to their mistakes. I'm sure that this was something that just got out of hand. I mean, obviously they need to pay for what they did, but like, let's not let's not go you know, too hard right. on them. And this just pissed the police off. They were like, nope, fuck that. Balls to the wall now. We yeah. are figuring this whole thing mm-hmm. out. We're going to prove it all. And we're going to send them all to jail for the rest of their lives. Yeah. We're going to get murder charges against them. Like the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. But that's easier said than done when you have no fucking right. evidence right. about against any you of them. You have a lot of anger and, so and no decide, evidence. Yes, exactly. So they decide they're going to just like fucking go all in and convene a grand jury and call like 120 witnesses all on the same day. So none of them have a chance to prepare and they can get as much actual information about it out of them without it getting contaminated or these guys having any control over what anybody says because they, you know, they know these families connections. Yeah. They think like there's a good chance that if anybody gets word that this is going to happen, that they won't get the real story out of anyone or very few of them. So this plan by the police um, backfires because it completely overwhelms the prosecutors. They can't (gasps) handle like all of these people show up to give their testimony all at the same time. They've all lawyered up by this point. So it's just way too overwhelming. They can't do anything. They can't get the information they need. And so they end up having to like, pause that take a a, 10 giant steps back and they spread this stuff out over months and months now so it just doesn't work at all like the police and investigators wanted it to work yeah weird strategy though i mean i think it's an odd strategy too so of course this obviously grand jury proceedings are secret and all of this was sealed and is still sealed and nobody really knows to this day this whole grand jury thing is sealed. What we there is one story that has come out of it that was released somehow and some news source got their hands on and it is the story of what led up to what happened in the lounge that night. Okay. So remember, this whole thing started over some kind of kerfuffle that <laughs> took place in the lounge. Well, it turns out, kerfuffle, that's right, kerfuffle. And it all was some prank that had been played on Sean is how it started. Mm. So Sean and Joe were like, they were freshmen, but they were frat. They were like rushing a frat or they were part of a frat. I don't know, either way. Um, but they still lived they in lived the dorm. They didn't live frat. at the frat house. Yeah, exactly. So there was this girl apparently that lived in their dorm who had this big crush on Sean, but she was like not anywhere near his level, obviously. Oh my God, I hate I hate so, these guys already. Oh yeah. And so as a joke, <laughs> I know, they as if like, I didn't hate them already. I'm sorry. Exactly. I'm just now exactly. realizing how that sounds. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, some woman who is not a perfect 10 has dared yes. to be attracted to Sean. Okay. Yes. 
And so as some hilarious prank, the other guys set up this like party and tell Sean that this girl who's really interested in the super hot girl is going to be there and he's interested in her and like they know that she's interested in him and they're going to hook up and whatever. Well, it turns out that the whole thing is set up as a prank and it's actually this girl that they bring to the party. And so when he finds out that he's the victim of this prank, he like loses his mind and gets in a physical fight with one of the other guys. I don't know if it was Joe. I don't know if it was one of the other four. I'm not really sure. But they end up wrestling right there in the lounge. And that's when they tear down part of the banner. This is when they're being really obnoxious and the RA tries multiple times to break them up and isn't able to take control of the situation. Everybody's been drinking at this point. Lots of people are intoxicated Mm -hmm. and it's a whole thing. That's what started this whole thing is this stupid prank because this girl wasn't hot enough or whatever. I don't even know what to say. I know. Can you imagine being that girl? No, I can't fucking imagine being that girl. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because like how I'm sure it was fucking terrible for her. That's what I was. She's she's really the butt of the prank. Absolutely. And then yeah. this guy gets so mad that he has to punch somebody. Uh, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From there, that's when the situation escalated to, oh, let's uh, like this prank didn't work out. Let's play another hilarious prank and let's set the banner on fire. That's what we know for sure comes out of this grand jury testimony. But at this point, like that grand jury declined to to bring forth an indictment. Wow. Nothing happened because despite the little bits of information you have from different witnesses, there's still no smoking gun. You can't prove who started the fire. And the police worked really hard to try and prove how they'd done this. Like starting like nine months into this investigation, they actually rebuilt like a perfect replica of the hall at this abandoned, I I think it's like some kind of like military barracks or Mm -hmm. something um, down in South Carolina. So they rebuilt like an exact replica of the hall and tried multiple times to start the fire and be able to prove, you know, how it started, where it started, all of this stuff. And it was just what they knew happened is that it was started by a match, but they couldn't prove who lit the match. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't matter how many experiments they did. They couldn't they couldn't prove it. None of the witnesses could say, yes, Joe Lepore lit the match and dropped it. No, uh, Sean Ryan lit the match and dropped it. They couldn't pin it on any specific person. And so that's when they decided they needed to use that mob connection, <laughs> get a confidential informant oh, involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so they have this guy who's like it, doing like a 10 year stint in prison for a, a mob hit of some kind. And he's got like a pretty good connection to the Lepore family. And so they seek him out and offer him like $60,000, supposedly, okay. that's all confidential, to be their confidential informant and secure information that would get them a warrant for a wiretap <gasps> on the Lepore's phone. Mm. Yes, and he does oh, it. Well, yeah. Like they get enough information. He he's connected oh, enough sorry. to I just the Lepore the family. Table. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I got I got excited. 
So, yeah, so somehow this guy, this confidential informant, has enough of a connection to the Lepore family that he gets them to say enough that they're able to secure a wiretap. Mm. They do a secret wiretap on the Lepore's phone. And for the next 24 months, two fucking oh years, they listen in to every conversation uh. that goes through the Lepore family's phones. I would love that. From those wiretaps, they got enough information to bring forth an indictment for Joe Lepore's father, his sister Lauren, and his mother Marie for obstruction of justice. So they all knew a bunch of information about the fire and didn't admit to it, didn't say anything about it in any of their interrogations. So they get indictments turned against them. Wait, so he went home and told his family about this? Well, yeah, because his dad was like his dad was considering moving them out of town so that he could try and jump the charges. Like the whole family knew that like this was going this was bad and that something was going to come down from it. But they still don't have quite enough on Joe. And so they want this confidential informant to like prod it a little bit and get more information. Apparently, this is a a tactic that is used a lot where they get the confidential informant, specifically when a wiretap is in place, to feed little bits of information to the family so that they will speak specifically about the topics that they need to. And so he would meet up with the Lepore family and be like, yeah, you know, word on the streets that uh, charges are coming down any day now. And they know this and this and this. And and so that it worked exactly like they wanted to. Well, sure. I mean, it has to work. Right. I mean, you can't just like wait for them to bring it up. Yeah. And so this got enough information that finally. Oh, my gosh. In June, specifically June 12th of 2003. What happened then? Good day. It's a good day. What happened on that day, Brandy? (laughs) That's that's mine and Norman's birthday. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sound the birthday horn. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. On that day, prosecutors unsealed a 60-count indictment <gasps> against Sean Ryan and Joe Lepore. They charged them with arson. Oh, arson? Wow. I put an L. I put an L in there. <laughs> That's worse than arson. They charged, they charged them with arson, reckless manslaughter, and felony murder. Woo! Oh, boys, you're in trouble. Yeah. They were facing up to life in prison. As I mentioned, they also put charges against several members of the poor family. This was headed to trial. Yeah. The trial was scheduled for the following year, like the spring of 2004. Only ugh, this thing just dragged on and on and on and fucking on. Finally, the prosecutors approached Sean and Joe for a deal because they knew they still didn't have. Yeah, they didn't have enough, enough information. Yeah. To prove which one of them had done it. And they certainly couldn't prove murder. And if one of them would tell the story, then. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they they approached them both offering a deal. And they both in November of 2006, they both agreed to plead guilty to third degree arson. I'm sorry, what? Third degree arson. Which carries a sentence of one month in prison or what even is that? In juvenile court. I'm sorry. Fuck all the way off. Fuck all the way off. Okay, they better have um, sang like canaries. No, like no. What I've told you is basically all the information that they ever admitted to. Are you yeah, serious? It was a prank. Yeah, it got out of hand. Yeah, they yeah. got that deal, and they didn't even like 
tell the whole story? Nope. And in exchange for the plea deal, they also got all of the charges against Lepore's family dropped. Uh, I'm feeling like that girl with the crush. <sighs> In January of 2007, they were each sentenced to... Don't you dare, Brandy. Five years in a youth correctional <laughs> facility. <laughs> wow. Despite being, I don't even fucking know how old at that time. Let's see, they were like 18-ish in 2000. Mm-hmm. So they're 25 now. <laughs> And they would both become eligible for parole after 16 months. The victims' families, obviously, were super upset about this and spoke up during the sentencing hearing. They called the men cowards for running away after setting a fire and not helping anybody to evacuate the dorm. And not taking Um, any responsibility. Any responsibility. I mean, they eventually pled guilty, but I mean, how many years later? Uh, Exactly. Yeah, they let this thing drag out forever and ever and ever. Side note on that confidential informant. So he got like $60,000 and he got out of prison a year early to do this cooperation. And he had been in prison on like nine counts of murder. Oh, boy. And now is in the witness protection program. Okay. (laughs) I hate (laughs) Thanks, I hate it. This is terrible. (laughs) It is terrible. It's just like the links that they went to to try and nail these guys eventually. And like, what what was the payout? There was no payout. I mean, this is ridiculous. In March of 2008, both Joe and Sean became eligible for parole for the first time. And they were both denied. But not for long. Okay. Sean Ryan was released in May of 2009. So he served two years of his sentence. Mm. And Joe Lepore was released in January of 2010. So he served right about three years. Wow. Yeah. Well, three people died and a bunch (laughs) of people were injured. So that sounds about right. 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 Three people died in a fire that they set intentionally. Mm. I can't even imagine being a family member of those victims, like how devastated you'd be by that sentence that they got. Okay, I have a question that you might not know the answer to. So someone obviously called in the fire. Was it one of these guys? Yes. No, I believe it was the RA, the Dan, Dan Nugent or whatever. Come the I believe he is the on. first person that called in the fire. But I think that they're OK. And I only read this in one source, so I didn't include it. So I'm not sure how accurate yeah. this is. But I believe that the RA had like some specific chain of command that he was supposed to follow. So he like called the fire into campus security yeah. and then it got relayed yeah. to the fire department, which is why when they came, they thought it was only a couch fire in the time that passed from that initial sure. call that he made about you know this little fire in the lounge it had grown into something so much more that uh, Seton Hall took a bunch of negative press over the fact that basically 10 minutes had gone by before they were properly trying to extinguish this flame and what could have happened during that time they could have done better to to reduce the amount of time response time that it took. I just ask because I'm trying to think most sympathetically and Mm -hmm. okay so let's say it you know you're dumb you're 19 whatever you 
decide to play this prank where you light this poster on fire mm-hmm. and you realize, oh shit, it's getting out of control. If the very least you can do is that's call. That's exactly yeah, what call. I'm saying. The least exactly. you can do is call the police, try to get people out of the dorm. The yeah. least you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Continue. Bleh. Yeah. So as I mentioned, Seton Hall took a lot flack about, you know, whatever process had been in place that required, you know, that led to this 10 minute gap being and they didn't have any fire sprinklers in this storm. Yeah. So that can't be legal. That's not up to code. Okay, so by this time it was recommended, but there was not a law requiring it on buildings built before a certain date. So. It was kind of, basically they were grandfathered in to the old law. Like you don't have to do the updates because, you know, this is a historic dorm or whatever. Well, in this case did take place in 1925. So I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, that is ridiculous. Yeah. So initially some of the families of the victims and the, and the students who were, you know, survived, but were horribly injured, wanted to file claims of negligence against Seton sure. Hall, but they were protected by state law. They were provided legal immunity because it is a religious nonprofit oh, institution. Good grief. Yeah. But I guess I don't know, to their defense. And in 2001, they did agree to some sort of settlement with the families. And How they, kind. Yeah, gave them some amount of restitution for what happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> since then. <laughs> I know, I know. Since then, it has become a state law that every dormitory, residence building, whatever, has to have sprinklers. Really? Um, wow. What yeah. a wild idea. Yeah. Yes. And following this, the the bishop, which is basically the dean at Seton Hall, he moved specifically into this dorm building to prove that it was safe and that people could specifically like parents could trust that their kids were safe in in this dorm building. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to be uh, living with some creepy dean. I guess I that (laughs) (laughs) would. That's not what you know. Oh, so three people died here, a bunch of people were injured, and now there's some creepy old guy living here? Oh, yes, yeah. sign me up. Yeah. No, thank you. But as far as I could tell, the other two guys that were involved that kind of knew what was happening and agreed to never talk about it, like, that no charges were ever brought against them. It was only the two. Brandy, are you kidding um, me? I, th- I thought Joe. you were holding out on those two because it was going to be like, no. and now some justice, Texas style. No. And here, no. no, no Texas justice here. This is it. Mm. That's as good. That's as good as it gets. Two and three years for those fuckers <laughs> over a, a hilarious prank where three people fucking died. But it and fifty six were horribly burned. But it was a hilarious prank. No, it was not. Ugh. And that's those the story dudes, of the Seton Hall fire. Those dudes need help with pranks. Lighting construction yeah. paper is an, is not a prank, dude. Not, not a, a prank. prank, bro. Also, telling your friend that you're setting him up with some hot chick and then bringing the nerdy girl who thinks he's hot there and said, also not a prank. Okay, that sounds like a terrible 80s movie. It does. I think that's exactly what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. 
I think parts of this case sound like all kinds of crazy different movies. The thing where they get the confidential informant to get the wiretap. who has got the mob connection. I think that sounds like a fucking movie that where they do go to Dunkin Donuts and have the meeting and agree to the pact that they'll take this to the grave. That sounds like a fucking movie. I wonder what they all ordered. I don't know. What do you have? A, do you have an order at Dunkin Donuts? Here's the thing. I. OK. Controversial. I know. Hey, you lived on the East Coast for a long time, Kristen. Yeah, and I i mean, I would see my friends with their iced coffees from Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, that was like a staple at Simmons University. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the day, it was like pearl earrings, Vera Bradley bags, and the iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. I always thought it tasted and looked like dirty dishwater. <laughs> Did not get it. But, you know, you get me a blueberry cake donut, I will be quite pleased. Mm. Mm. They got this donut there, and I don't know what it's called, but it is like a powdered donut. Mm -hmm. And then it's got, oh, it's got this like jelly center chocolate. No, it's chocolate icing inside of it. Oh, okay. Oh, I so fucking yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound too bad, I must say. <laughs> But this, I tell you what, this case, so I'd never heard of this, but you yeah. said it happened in, was it 2000? 2000, okay. yeah. So my freshman year in the dorms was 04, mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, it wasn't too awfully far away, and I just remember every time the fire alarm went off, and, you know, like, you could smell the popcorn. You knew it was the fucking popcorn. But every time, every RA, like, forced us out, didn't matter what time it was. Yeah. There was always a head I mean, it was always so involved. And now, I, looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, because not that. It's probably because yes. of this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because when you said the fire alarm went off, they realized it was it was the real deal and they didn't know what to do. It's like, gosh, how did you not know what to do? But probably the only reason yeah. we knew what to do was because they forced because, us yeah. to take it seriously. Yep. Man. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's exactly right. When have I ever been wrong? Never. Thank you. So you back me up <laughs> for the time in high school when I fled the scene, refused to help my friends. <laughs> Literally, I left uh, Kate. I left her in bed sleeping next to me. That's Christian. <laughs> oh, <my> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I like to think I've evolved. Wow. Have I? Let's test it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should we should put that to the test. <laughs> oh God. Oh my gosh. Randy, that was absolutely awful. How dare you? How dare I you know. do that to us I'm during sorry. these trying times? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just can't believe those fucking shitheads got away with nothing. <laughs> hey, don't talk about them that way. They've got mob ties. <laughs> They do have mob ties. I know I should be careful. <laughs> Those good, sweet boys. I'm, I'm so glad, you know, they, I'm sure they feel bad. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they really learned their yep. lesson. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I guess when the 20th anniversary of this came about uh -huh. earlier this year, that um, several news sources tried to get in contact with them through their lawyers and neither of them would release a statement, obviously. Yeah. But one of them, 
I believe it's Sean Ryan. All his lawyer would say is that he's uh, he has a kid now and he's working in home improvement. <laughs> OK, great. OK, great. <laughs> Best of luck to you. Yeah. You know, I can understand why Seamus McGraw was like the only person to have the nuts to cover this because it's like it's so so many years, so infuriating, so much work. Hats yeah. off to and him. there's no payoff. No, no. Yeah. Ugh. You yeah. know what I hate lately? I'm sorry, switching gears. What? I just, well, not really switching gears. Switch it's it. just more stuff I hate. <laughs> more stuff you hate. <laughs> there is a commercial right now. I think it's for a bank that's like, love isn't canceled. Birthdays aren't oh canceled. <laughs> it's like, okay. Okay. Nobody thinks that love is canceled right now. Like I, I thought love was for sure canceled. <laughs> I filed for divorce. I told my family I was done. I thought it was all canceled. <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I just think I'm I'm not loving the commercials that are like. We're all in this together. What are we doing to help? Jack shit. But we've we've come up with this <laughs> nice commercial here. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing, Brandy? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm still sweating. I don't know what is happening with me. Did you do something bad? Uh, is it finally stage, getting to you? You finally ready to down here? Ready to admit to it? Whew. I gotta come clean. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do some inductions? Yeah, let's do some inductions. Hang on, I've got a wait, wait. Got a, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're not prepared. You know, we we just started this episode about five seconds ago, <laughs> so I'm not prepared in any way. <laughs> tell you, this episode has been nuts. Okay, guys, uh, this week we are doing names and your favorite movies. And if you're like, what are you talking about right now? Well, let me tell you. For the $7 level on Patreon, you get bonus episodes, you get bonus videos, you get into the Discord, you get a sticker, you get a card with our autographs, and you get inducted on the podcast. Here we go. Amy Carnes. Top Gun. Brandon Heavey. The Fifth Element. Amanda Short. North by Northwest. Allie Maddox. Moulin Rouge. Adam and Connor. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Cloud Atlas. Cody Huggert. Harry Potter. James Hanton. Love, Simon. Natasha KW. Die Hard. Opal Roten. Baby Mama. Taylor Isley. Oh, Steel Magnolias. <laughs> <laughs> Ava B. A League of Their Own. Welcome to the Supreme Court. Yeah, guys, welcome. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm not, not. I'm not gonna get as riled up about it as Kristen is, but no. I'm oh, just wow. <laughs> hey, hey, join the Patreon. Don't join. Brandy doesn't care. Brandy's kind of too cool. She's above it all. <laughs> I'm one of those frat guys in the. <laughs> I like to rip down posters just for fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You nerdy RA. You worked hard on this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I actually hate that so much. You know what else I hate? There was like this trend of like, um, you know, like different stupid like Vine videos or viral videos, like where little challenges happen. Yeah. The ones where like the group of kids go into a convenience store and just destroy stuff. What? That fucking pissed me off so bad. You don't remember those ones no. where they just like go and like push down a shelf or something like that? Like that somebody fucking worked hard for that shit. What are you doing? Yeah, someone who is not being paid enough 
has to yeah. set that up. And oh god, uh, yeah. Are you trying to make me mm-hmm. more mad, Brandy? I'm sorry. That just reminded me. Like I really hate <laughs> when people just don't appreciate the hard work other people put in. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say. So I get annoyed. Like it seemed like for a while there there were videos going around of like people messing with drive through workers. Oh yeah! Stop it! Stop yes. it! <laughs> it's not funny. It's not cute. It's just rude. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. This has been your PSA. <laughs> We're such we selling old women right now. We are. And get off my lawn. <laughs> I tell you what, um, I've got my quarantine hair, and let me tell you, I am way more gray than I thought I was. <laughs> I am so gray. Had no idea. Well, yeah, I got a few grays up there, too. You don't have, I mean, if it's a contest, I'm winning. You really don't have many at all. I mean, like, right, but it's, they're really easy. Yours blend because you've got the blonde. Mine, like... Fuck, they are, I have dark hair, and so they're just shining like a spotlight out the top of my head. Okay, now, as as my stylist and my long-term yeah. friend, what do you think of this? Would I be crazy to let my hair go natural? Because I'm kind of like, you know what? Now that no, it's not I, all one color, I'm kind of liking it. Yeah. Now, what you could do is kind of do like a gradual thing where we just like put a few highlights in it to blend it mm-hmm. and then, you know, kind of go from there. No, I don't think that's crazy at all. Okay. All right, friend. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Look out, people. Mm. I am going hey on natural. That's right. Hey, uh, on on the real, folks, we appreciate your support. We really so do. So much. Yes. <laughs> we really, really do. <laughs> it means so much to us. If you're, if you're wondering how else you might support us or if you have some, you know, free time laying around, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit patreon uh, find us all those places um interact with us we really enjoy it it's fun and then uh, uh subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and then head on over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review and then be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics podcast adjourned. <laughs> And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the article How the Bizarre Conspiracy Theory Behind Pizzagate Was Spread by Craig Silverman for BuzzFeed. The article Anatomy of a Fake News Scandal by Amanda Robb for Rolling Stone, as well as the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, Snopes.com, and Wikipedia. And I got my info from an article by Seamus McGraw for the Crime Library, the New York Times, (laughs) Seamus McGraw, (laughs) NJ.com, the court record and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. 